Welcome to the Israel Daily News Podcast. I'm your host, Shanna Fold, and I'm here to get you caught up quickly. I've got some top news stories for you today from Israel, and guess what? You're listening, so you're already on top of your game. Survive and thrive, people. Knowledge is the best weapon. Today is Friday, November 3rd, 2023, in the Gregorian calendar, and the 19th of Cheshvan, 5784, in the Hebrew calendar. Israel is in day 28 of war with Hamas. In this episode, I'll give you news briefings, a full-scale report from the Shura military base in Ramle, where forensic scientists and police officers are working to identify bodies. And you'll hear from the lead scientist who is running the forensic operation, as well as Israel's police department spokesperson. And I'll leave you off with a Torah thought before we enter the weekend. Now, let's get to the news. Israeli troops backed with air power and naval support have entered Gaza City in a significant advance during the ongoing war between Israel and Hamas. The objective is to oust the Hamas group from the stronghold. The urban terrain is densely populated and filled with dangers like bombs and booby traps. The IDF Chief of Staff Lieutenant General Herzi Halevi says the forces have surrounded the city from multiple directions. He says the troops have made significant progress in the ground offensive. There have been continued rocket attacks from Palestinian terror groups into southern and central Israel, resulting in damage, injuries, and trauma. The IDF confirms 23 deaths since the start of the ground operation. 23 deaths of Israeli soldiers since the beginning of the ground operation just days ago. Five soldiers who were confirmed dead today, Friday, November 3rd, are named Captain Benny Weiss, 22, from Haifa, Major Oria Mash, 41, from Talmon, who was a reservist, Major Yonatan Yosef Brand, 28, from Jerusalem, who was also a reservist, Sergeant Major Gil Pishitz, 39, from Harish, a tank driver in the 9th Battalion and a reservist, and Staff Sergeant Itai Saadon, 21, from Har Halutz, a tank commander in the 52nd Battalion, 401st Brigade. 339 IDF soldiers have been killed since Hamas launched its attack on Israel on October 7th, with 23 dead from the ground invasion, invasion specifically. The situation remains highly dynamic, with ongoing military operations and efforts to address humanitarian concerns like fuel supply to hospitals in Gaza. The Palestinian Red Crescent reported that 102 trucks carrying humanitarian aid, including food, water, medicine, and relief supplies, has entered Gaza through Egypt's Rafah crossing. This marks the first time that more than 100 trucks entered Gaza in a single day since the start of the Israel-Hamas war. Since October 21st, a total of 374 trucks of aid have entered Gaza, but this is still only a fifth of the aid Gaza is used to receiving from before the war. Israel conducts thorough inspections of aid shipments to prevent smuggling of weapons or contraband. According to IDF spokesperson Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari, the number of Israelis and other civilians held hostage by Hamas decreased from 242 on Thursday to 241 on Friday due to an intelligence report. It's thought that the intel involves analysis of human remains found in several kibbutz communities following the Hamas attack. Forensic teams have been working to identify these remains to determine the status of individuals who may be kidnapped, missing, or deceased. Reports and audio recordings from phone conversations between Israeli officers and a Palestinian health ministry official reveal Hamas is operating under the Shifa hospital in Gaza and is storing fuel down there for their own purposes. Also, Hamas is using the fuel reserves of Shifa Hospital for their terror operations, robbing the hospital of their fuel needed to save Palestinian lives. The United States has deployed surveillance drones over Gaza to aid in the search for hostages taken by Hamas during their attack on Israel on October 7th, 
According to two anonymous U.S. officials, these drones have been conducting intelligence-gathering flights over Gaza for more than a week. There are concerns that 10 Americans may be among the more than 200 people held hostage in Hamas's tunnel network in Gaza. Rocket fire from southern Lebanon struck the northern city of Kiryat Shmona, causing significant damage on Thursday. Hamas, yes, Hamas, claimed responsibility for firing 12 rockets in the barrage on Israel's northern territory. Usually, Hamas is operating from the south in Gaza. Intense fighting has escalated on the northern border between Hezbollah and the IDF, with Hezbollah targeting multiple Israeli military sites. An Iranian-sponsored militia originally deployed in Syria has been reinforcing the Hezbollah terror group in Lebanon. Elhanan Klein, a 29-year-old Israeli man, was killed in a shooting attack on a West Bank road or a road in Judea and Samaria. You could say West Bank, you could say Judea and Samaria, while returning from Army Reserve duty and heading to his home in the settlement of Enav. The incident has been labeled as a terror attack by Israeli authorities, prompting the IDF to launch a manhunt for the attacker. In response, there were reports of settlers allegedly setting fire to Palestinian property in the nearby village of Der Shaf, leading to clashes with border police. Shoham Ben Harush, a 20-year-old IDF soldier fatally wounded in a Hamas terror attack on October 7th, saved the lives of five people through organ donation. His heart, corneas, kidneys, and liver have been transplanted into others who are benefiting in their critical time of need. His family honored his wish to donate his organs. Second Lieutenant Padaya Mark was killed in combat against Hamas terrorists in the Gaza Strip while serving in the Givati Brigade. He has been mentioned in the news because he is the son of the late Rabbi Michael, or Mickey Mark, who was killed in a 2016 shooting attack. The young Padaya Mark once shared in an interview that after the attack took place, he understood the importance of combat service in the IDF. The family has had multiple tragedies, including the loss of another son named Shlomi to a car accident. Let's pray for the families and for the Mark family, specifically, who is suffering a tough blow to their family unit. A warrior and savior from the October 7th attack on Kibbutz Berry named Lieutenant Colonel Salman Habaka has been killed in a subsequent fight during a ground invasion in Gaza. He was a highly respected senior IDF officer and was celebrated for rescuing residents during the Hamas attack on October 7th. Habaka comes from a Druze community in the north of Israel. The Druze community from the Middle East are not Muslims, not Christians, not Jews, if you're not familiar with them. It's a small community that speak Arabic and have their own unique Druze faith, which is an Abrahamic, monotheistic, ethnic religion. They are a protected population in Israel and have been historically persecuted in other parts of this region. After the October 7th attack, he told Israel's Channel 12 News that when he understood there was a terror attack in the south of Israel, he switched his troops from the West Bank and said this, quote, If it can drive, it can shoot, and it's got a radio, it's on its way. He also said, quote, Our mission was to secure the area, evacuate residents out of the line of fire, and defeat the terrorists who had burst into Israel. Lieutenant Colonel Habaka's leadership and bravery was widely recognized. He leaves behind a wife, a two-year-old son, and his parents, two brothers, and three sisters. Many of you have asked me about the Israeli economy. Well, here's a little economic news bite for you. A group of venture capitalists and serial entrepreneurs, including individuals from Pitango, Viola, and Silvertech, have launched an emergency impact fund called Iron Nation. The aim is to raise 20 million U.S. dollars to support early-stage Israeli startups that are affected by the ongoing war with Hamas. The fund will provide eligible startups ranging from $500,000 to $1 million funds, with applications being processed within two weeks by the fund's investment committee. 
A proposed bill by the Interior Minister Moshe Arbel would allow Israel to strip individuals of citizenship if they express solidarity with terror groups or incite terror during times of war. The law would grant the Interior Minister wartime powers to revoke citizenship without the need for court approval, requiring only the consent of the Justice Minister. It's not clear whether the charge would be just for inciting terror or if it would also include those who are supporting terror. The law would be applicable during emergency situations declared by the Israel Defense Forces Home Front Command based on advice from the Population, Immigration, and Border Authority. The Times of Israel has an extremely important article out by Laser Berman about how Gazan mothers and their children are currently in Israel because they had to enter in order to get high-quality medical care for their kids. Now they are unable to return home due to the ongoing conflict. I say that this article is important because it really highlights the intricacies and entanglements of the Gazan people and Israel. All the details are woven in, like the fact that some families are working in Israel and some Gazans did not care about the October 7th massacre in Israel or just simply felt afraid of the response from Israel without really considering what had happened on the other side. These Gazan mothers and children are staying at Shevet Achim, an organization that brings children from neighboring countries into Israel to receive life-saving medical treatment. These services are paid for with Israeli tax shekels from Israeli tax-paying individuals. While the women and children are expressing their great appreciation for the medical care that they receive in Israel, saying that the doctors treat everyone warmly and with the same care, some still hold Israel accountable for the situation in Gaza and did relay that to reporters. The mothers and grandmothers are anxious and frustrated, hoping for an end to the fighting so that they can reunite with their families if their homes are still standing. And some of them know that their homes have been destroyed by Israeli airstrikes, but they still want to enter Gaza and be with their loved ones. Russia's representative to the United Nations, Vasily Nebenzia, stated at an emergency UN General Assembly session that Israel, in their view, does not have the right to defend itself due to its, quote, status as an occupying power. This is shocking. The representative also emphasized that Israel does not have the right to ensure its security and fight against terrorism. However, he suggested that for Israel's security to be fully guaranteed, the Palestinian issue should be resolved based on relevant UN Security Council resolutions. He accused Western countries of hypocrisy in their handling of conflicts and criticized efforts by Arab states to normalize relations with Israel before resolving the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. This is shocking because Israel has strong ties to Russia and both heads of state have previously met and had discussions by phone. In fact, Israel has refused to provide Ukraine weapons and ammunition to fight Russia in their war because of these strong ties and instead has only given Ukraine humanitarian aid and defense support despite Ukraine's president has asked Israel time and again to send over more weapons. Now, this is Shanna talking. Here's my opinion. Geopolitics are changing rapidly, and this is going to affect Israel's relationship with Russia for, for sure moving forward. A statement from Bahrain confirms their ambassador to Israel has returned home, and the Israeli ambassador in Manama has left Bahrain some time ago. However, the statement did not specify whether the Israeli ambassador was expelled or not. The government also mentioned that flights between the two countries have been suspended for several weeks. Bahrain's parliament had earlier stated that economic ties were severed, but the government stated that it didn't want to confirm this at all. Israel says its relations with Bahrain remain stable and that no official notification of any such action has been received. Bahrain has a new peace agreement with Israel, which was signed as part of the Abraham Accords just a few years back. Since the beginning of Israel's war in Gaza, Iranian Jews have reportedly received threatening phone calls demanding they sever contact with family members in Israel. This has led many Iranian Jews to leave family group chats with Israeli relatives and even block their phone numbers. 
The Iranian government has prohibited the use of Israeli-owned social media platforms and has attempted to engineer displays of support for the Palestinians and Hamas within the country. I saw through some activists that I pay attention to that the, that the Iranian government had put Israeli and American flags on sidewalks trying to encourage people to step on them as they walk down the street. And uh, one of the activists that I follow put a video of some Iranian civilians jumping over the flags so as to not step on them. I want to thank all of you for your interest in Israeli affairs. Israeli politics are world politics. I also want to thank all of you who personally finance and fund the Israel Daily News podcast with monthly contributions. You can support us with a monthly contribution by going over to anchor.fm backslash Israel Daily News. You can contribute whatever feels good to you. Thank you to Stephen Goldberg. Mr. Goldberg has been listening and showing his support. I also want to thank Neela DeSouza for her support. Listener support is so what helps me continue down this road of independent journalism so that I can keep working the way that I think that the work should be done. And I just want to thank all of you for your words of affirmation. Those words really get me into this recording chair, and I can't tell you what a form of payment it is to receive feedback from listeners. I also need to thank Gary Cohen, S. Felix, James Peck, and Barry Israelowitz for making one-time contributions to the GoFundMe account to fund my special wartime coverage, which I am taking very seriously. Also, people wrote beautiful things on the GoFundMe page about my podcast. I loved those words more than you know. To find that page, you can just type in my name, Shanna Fold, and GoFundMe into Google. You'll find it right away. In Sunday's newsletter, I also am, in Sunday newsletters, I'm also including links to Israeli organizations that I've vetted in case you're interested in supporting the war effort or volunteering. I have links in the newsletter. You can go to israeldaily.news and sign up for that. You can also support us by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can share the show with a friend, and you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at israeldaily.news as well. My name is Shanna Fold. You can spell that S-H-A-N-N-A. My name has two N's in it, and I'm very sensitive about that. You can also find us on Twitter at Israel Podcast. And now for a special report. My experience going to the Shura Army Base where professionals are identifying the dead from the October 7th massacre. I joined a group of foreign media to cover a site that caused me to feel physically sick for several days. It took days for my migraine to leave and for my nausea to subside after this. For one hour, I toured the Shura Army Base in Ramleh where forensic scientists are working around the clock to identify bodies that were massacred on October 7th. So far, as of this date, they have identified 828 individuals out of some 1,400 that were taken from Am Yisrael that day. And that does not just include Jews, that includes other people as well. Journalists and many foreign press were addressed when we arrived, and then we were told to put our phones away for the walk through the active military base. A lot of time and a lot of sensitivity. We are receiving body parts, we are receiving bodies that are mutilated, bodies that are completely charred, and we are doing our very best with thousands of officers, hundreds of volunteers, doctors, dentists, forensic specialists, specialties, uh, specialists, sorry, all working together. 24 hours to give closure to people's loved ones who are waiting to hear if their family members were taken hostage, if they were exploded by an RPG, or if they're waiting here in one of the refrigerated trailers. I want to remind you guys that this is an IDF base, and so there will be no filming from this point until we get to the site, and we will let you know that you can resume filming. We ask you guys to listen to all the instructions of the IDF members here and the police who are going to do everything possible to share their stories of what they've experienced since the 7th of October. You're going to be speaking with numerous personnel. They will be giving statements, everyone from the head of the forensics team to doctors from the IDF and people who are collecting evidence and going through as 
I really can't explain the experiences they're going through. One of them, one of the per personnel here even received her own friend's body come in and she had to identify it just to give you an idea. I'm not gonna give, elaborate on, on much more words because I can speak really forever on this. You need to see it with your own eyes. You need to see and hear these stories from the people who are dealing with it 24 seven. We're gonna begin shortly. And I ask you to please respect this site, respect the officers there are going through a really difficult time right now, working around the clock to identify these bodies. Again, some mutilated, charred, dismembered, and, and that's about it. When we arrived to our destination, we saw a dozen enormous freezers. Each one had two large doors on it with two large handles. There were dozens of stretchers in front of the freezers to serve as a separation between the press and the dead bodies that were being preserved. And there were a number of white tents set up to the side where people were working. The lead forensic scientist who addressed the journalist was a woman named Michal. She spoke clearly and scientifically, but her eyes were wet, and she made reporters and cameramen gasp and cover their mouths. Michal told us that some of the bodies that came into the makeshift processing site were so charred that she and her team had to rely on crowns removed from the mouth to achieve a little sampling of DNA for their exams. Usually, family members can bring in items of their loved ones to help identify their bodies, like a strand of hair from a brush. But for this massacre, many families have been entirely decimated, and there is no one left to ask for a sample. And many had their entire house burned down so that people couldn't even go back to the house to find a DNA sample. Let's hear from her. Commander Michal Levine-Arad, who is the head of the Forensic Investigative Division of the Israel Police, who is really working night and day, putting her heart and soul into giving answers to families, and she's going to share with you her words. On the 7th of October, when we heard about the events, we opened up the mobile morgue here. We had to set up the whole camp. We had to bring all of the forensic investigators from all over the country to work 24 hours per day. We had about 70 people working every day and hundreds of bodies coming every day. And I have been working in the police for the past 25 years. I have seen one thing or two. I've been working in crime scene. When you work in a crime scene, you prepare yourself to what's coming. You know there's a murderer, you know that maybe blood. You are preparing yourself as you go to work in the crime scene. But here it was impossible to prepare. The line, the work that we did is we get the body, we register, and then the body is transferred to the, to the forensic investigator to do the work, to collect biometric information. And you, you have to understand that they open the bag, they don't know what's going on. They don't know what they're going to find in there. That is an, a horrific thing, because you don't know. And the worst is when you see small bags. When you see small bags, each and every one of my forensic investigators were, were uh, horrified because you don't know what you're going to find there. In the good case, in the best case, you find ashes and some bones, which, you know, although uh, horrific, but still maybe better. <laughs> in the worst case, you open a small body, a small bag, and you find a baby. And one of my forensic investigators really told me that he opened the bag he saw this beautiful blonde baby with a diaper on. And they were, first of all, they're horrified. And, you know, you take a step, a step back and, and you think, wait a minute, what's going on? And uh, what am I, how am I going to proceed? Because we know we cannot talk about emotions. This, this is not the time. So they raise themselves and they do the professional work. But 
And although we are only here to identify the victims, so we collect fingerprints when we can. For babies, we can only collect DNA. We cannot even collect dental uh, because they're babies. And they do that. And while they're doing that, they're thinking, well, how, is, how did the baby die? Because he looks nice. He looks nice enough. He looks beautiful, as I told you. And, and out of their sheer professionalism, they try to look to see if there is a bullet hole or something. And what they saw was a footprint on the throat of that baby. And that broke every one of that team down. Not to mention that they had to open the diaper because they had to say which sex it is. Because such a young baby, you don't know if it's a boy or a girl. So just imagine what these people went through, what we went through. Another investigation, a forensic investigator told me, again, try to imagine the, the feeling that you have when you have a bag and you're, you're used to, you see a big bag, okay, you see women, you see uh, men, you see old people, which for me personally was horrifying. Um, and you see women who are bonded. They saw women who were bonded in their legs, in their heads, in their hands like this, and then shot. Um, but one of my forensic investigators said that he opened, again, a smaller bag, which is horrifying, and he saw a young child without the head, decapitated. And although we're not, this, the, we're not supposed to determine the cause of death, you see that in front of you because these are professionals who are working. So the stories are terrible. We are trying to work with the forensic investigators to keep them working. We don't have so many in Israel. We have to keep them working. Um, for me personally, the worst was to open a bag where I know that my colleague is in there, where we have one of the forensic investigators who was working in the music festival. And we knew that he probably, uh, he was killed. And we opened the bag and we see that person. And, and to, to see a person that you know for me, was the, the worst experience. Thank you. When the press was assembled, workers from the base opened the freezers. A stench of ice and decaying bodies came out, shocking everyone and entering everyone's noses. And for me personally, changing the way that I open my own kitchen fridge on a daily basis. Looking through the camera lens made it easier but when I stood there with no filter and my camera to the side, looking into the freezers that had endless shelves holding small, medium, and large body bags, it was shocking, disturbing, and upsetting. After a few long minutes of cameras snapping and then silence, and even a little bit of pushing between camera operators to get pictures and video, the army closed the doors to the freezers leaving everyone just standing in silence and confusion. It felt like nobody knew what to do or where to go from here. Most people think that dentists are the people that help you have a bright smile. Well, let's hear from Dr. Ilana Engel, who's been volunteering with the police for a decade. It'll give you a new idea about work that dentists do. I've been a dentist for 15 years, and for the last 10 years, I've been volunteering with the dental forensic unit in the Israel police. Um, on Saturday, October 7th, like the rest of the country, we woke up to the devastating news of communities down south that were being attacked by Hamas terrorists. Alongside rockets throughout the country, we were told to be on standby because most likely, civilian casualties were arriving. Just to explain, our work as dentists is we examine a body, we give her a body a full checkup along with x-rays. Sometimes if the conditions won't allow x-rays, such as burnt bodies, um, we'll do a CT scan. The idea is to gather dental information that can then help us finding and comparing it with a, the dental information of a missing person. Um, we were told to be on standby, and that night, 
October 7th, my team arrived here. We've been here ever since, 24 hours a day on shift work. My first shift was Sunday, October 8th. I arrived here and the two devastating things that I had seen was, number one, the amounts, the amounts of bodies that were coming. Uh, like I said, I've been with the police, with the voluntary unit for 10 years. Never in my life have I been in an event with stretchers, with bodies, after bodies coming. We started working in our rooms and we're getting note that a truck just arrived with 80 more bodies, two trucks are on the way with 200 more bodies, all civilians coming hundreds and hundreds at a time, young women, men, children, babies, elderly people. It was the most devastating thing to experience. And not only the numbers of the people arriving, but the, the condition and the injuries that these people have sustained. I've seen young women and men with bullets all over their bodies, heads, necks, everywhere. We've seen people with their throats slashed. We've gotten some severed heads without bodies that needed dental examination. We've seen bodies arriving without limbs. We've seen so many burnt bodies. We've seen stretcher after stretcher coming in with small bags with babies. We don't examine babies because they don't have teeth and even young babies generally don't have dental records. But the sight of seeing them just coming in one after the other has been horrific. The level of mutilation that these people, that these civilians have sustained is beyond words. It is something that will be etched in our minds forever. None of us know how we will recover. All we can try and do is identify these people and bring some closure for their loved ones who are waiting for them. Many, many of these people are still unidentified because of the horrific conditions which don't allow identification. Only two nights ago, we managed to ID someone by, there were plastic boxes that arrived containing what was left of someone. What we managed to find was a few dental implants with crowns. Everything else was burnt. Teeth didn't survive that fire, but the implants survived. And we managed to match it with one of the missing people, a 70-year-old woman who had been burned in her bomb shelter. All that was left of her was a few plastic boxes. This is the work that we've been doing and we're still doing because we're still getting bodies and parts of bodies arriving. Um, it is unforgettable and I hope no one here ever has to experience anything close to what we've been experiencing here in our country. Thank you. We also heard from Sherry, who works specifically with women in order to preserve their modesty. Um, I'm a volunteer, a regular person, who we came and we trained once or twice a year to learn how to do identification and to shepherd a female soldier who may have died over the years. Um, we never expected this. We've been also doing um, shifts 24-7. We're dealing with female soldiers. And I'm here actually just to tell you what I've seen, what our team has seen. I am not going to overstate anything I've seen and I'm not going to understate anything I've seen. Um, when we came in, we saw people shot, women, young women, in their pajamas, shot in the head. They were bloody everywhere. It was, it's our job to open the body bags and protect their privacy, the women, from a religious perspective while they're being examined uh, forensically for identification. Once the body is identified, they're taken to another room where our teams prepare them for Jewish burial. You should know that the Jewish laws of burial are to, to give the people honor. I saw a woman who was not given, these people were not given any honor in their life. So we tried to give them honor in death. They're wrapped in pure white linen shrouds. We, I saw a woman whose arm was so broken in so many places that we struggled to put her arm in the shroud. And her, the left side of her body was completely obliterated, most probably from a, a grenade. I also should tell you 
that a lot of these people were shot in the head, in the body, and then in the head so many times that their brains were spilling out. And it's our job to scoop up brains. We're all civilian volunteers. We're not medical people. We did what we needed to do because our main focus is to honor these women and to help their families. Um, there were times, I also have to say, where we had to evacuate all of a sudden because Hamas booby-trapped bodies and we were told get out, run, 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 and that delayed everything because a team had to come and check. I want to tell you from, uh, you've heard many of the stories of horror, I want to tell you from a personal point of view some of the things that struck me. A lot of these young women soldiers had beautiful manicures and that might be a very, very shallow thing maybe you might say to notice, but they, their bodies, there was no color at all in this room. Everything was gray and green and bloody. We were washing off the blood from their earrings, from their necklaces to give them back to the families. Long after they died, blood was still seeping from their ears, from all over. But there were these beautiful, bright pink or red manicures. And I think that we as a group of women broke down when we saw these manicures because these women had such hope of life. They were going to go home and be with their boyfriends or their lovers or whatever, and they, that was the only color in the room. And it, it was just terribly sad. We, we also saw decapitated bodies. We saw a lot of the horrors you've heard already. I do want to say one other thing. I personally come at this from a, from a perspective of being the child of a Holocaust survivor who miraculously survived. And I have an uncle, my grandmother's brother, who was taken into the Sonderkommando. If none of you know what that is, that's a unit that was, uh, that unloaded bodies from the ovens in the Holocaust, in the camps. He was 20 years old, he was a violinist. And they, they were sentenced to death because they didn't want anybody to survive and, and talk about that. And I grew up with a lot of these stories. I had, most of my family didn't survive and they died in the camps and death marches. And as a young child, we heard these stories like other children hear normal stories. And I didn't think that in my short life, I would live to see atrocities that paralleled the Holocaust again. I think that has been the hardest thing for me personally. And finally, when reporters were wrapping up and photographers were heading out, I caught the international spokesperson for the Israel Police Department named Dean Elsdon. He hails from Miami, Florida. He came to Israel after university and in just a few years entered and finished the army, met his wife, who's also from South Florida. They, they both had to come to Israel to find each other. And now they're married and forging a big career in the police department representing the Israel police on every major network. He speaks Hebrew and addressed my question in his native tongue, English. It, there's a lot of passion coming from you, especially it touched me when you spoke about 9-11 and how the people, uh, the victims of 9-11 didn't have to respond to anti or deniers. Can you speak to me about that? I think it's disgusting and I think it's heartbreaking that every day I come here and every day I go to Kibbutz Be'eri or to Kfar Aza and I see blood stains all over the place. I come to the body collection site and I see children in bags and I see body pieces coming in and day by day, day after day, I need to explain to the international media what took place and I have to prove it to them. There's no other country in the world that had to prove after a terrorist attack that over 1,400 innocent lives were taken. It's outrageous. I really, I call on the international world to look themselves really good in the mirror and to ask themselves where their humanity is. This wasn't just an attack on Jews. Anybody who goes against the extremist ideology of Hamas was victim. Christians, Arabs, foreign nationals. These are the bodies that are coming in through our doors. And it's heartbreaking to me. One question that I've unfortunately been getting a lot of from just people on the internet that are swear that they're just curious is what about the decapitated babies? Why was there a reporter that had to retract her statement? Can you speak to that? I think that it's absolutely sick that people want to see these bodies physically in person. We've brought in experts who are dealing with this every single day. The head of the forensic investigation department, the doctors who are coming and saying, I've seen it. It's keeping me up at night. It's making me sick. I can't even hug my own children. We see parents that, that go live on TV and they're crying. 
I, I don't know what else is enough other than actually being there. How is your team dealing with this? We're, we're keeping going. There's no other option. This is, it's active combat zone in the south. This is a, every single day we're getting bodies in the body collection site. These are officers that are not just dealing with strangers, they're dealing with their neighbors, they're dealing with family members. We have colleagues here who receive people that they've worked with for years. It's breaking us apart. And it, with justice, because we're humans. Anyone, really, I, I don't know anyone who can look and deal with what's happening and not just break down. One thing that I didn't hear reported before was that some of these bodies came to these facilities with booby traps on them. Um, how many of those did you find and where and, and how was that, how, how did that happen? I'm not going to speak specifically to the booby traps, but I know the IDF put out their statement about when the specialized units are going inside of the houses, they've dealt with booby traps. This was set up to kill first responders, not just soldiers, but people from emergency medical personnel who are coming in from civilians who are running in to grab their family members uh, after the attack took place. This was a mass casualty event focused on killing as many civilians, innocent lives as possible, elderly, children, women, doesn't matter what. This was meant to, to be an act against humanity. Do you feel that you are in this role and that it's sort of, you know, you, I don't, I, you've been in this role for about a year? And um, how has being an American helped you be able to do your job? <sighs> Nothing's helping me do my job right now. Nothing. Uh, in the beginning, first week, I was going from funeral to funeral. I was speaking with families that lost their houses, that lost loved ones. In the first beginning week, we had an outpour of support from foreign nations, and we really appreciate it. We appreciate the United States support, the foreign nation support. But now, now that we're defending ourselves against the attack that took place, people are coming out against us. And I, nothing prepared me for it, and I don't understand it either. Because I'm here, I'm bringing the international media here every single day, and people still don't get it. The Hamas terror organization, which is equivalent to ISIS, put out live videos, their own videos, showing what they did. We put out videos from body cameras of police, security footage from, from security cameras in these areas. We've brought press, foreign media, we've brought parliament members. The president of the United States came here. But for people at home, that's, it's not enough. All these top figures and all these press members, they're breaking down in front of you. The smell is staying in our, in our nose and it won't leave for days, for weeks. Every body bag that I see now, when I go see a trash bag, I make the connection between the two. Really, I, I ask, where's the humanity? That's what I personally, Dean, ask the world. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? I just want to remind everybody that this was an attack on humanity. We need to all stand together against this terror organization. Today it's in our front yards, tomorrow it's going to be in theirs. We need to address it, we need to address it fast, and the world needs to know that Israel has every single right to defend itself. Very heavy, but very important for you to hear. The only highlight of the Thursday trip to the Shora base was meeting a broadcast journalist from India named Hari Haran. When I was telling someone on the way out of the base that I was Shanna Fold of the Israel Daily News podcast, he quite literally stopped in his stride, took a couple steps back and looked at me and told me he listens to my show daily and that for quite some time I have been his number one source for Israel News. Well, I enjoyed that moment greatly. He's invited me to join him in his TV program in India early this week called Tanti TV. He tells me that it's the number one Tamil news channel in India with a audience size of 40 million viewers. He says that the station has an 80-year history and is one of the oldest news organizations in India. So I'm going to be joining that early this week via Zoom. This past Wednesday, I spoke to the Jewish community of Buffalo through an organized talk with the Buffalo Federation. I answered tough questions and poured my heart out as a journalist and in some moments as a civilian through living through the war. I intend on doing more speaking engagements and will be coming to New York to visit family within the next few weeks. If you or anyone you know is interested in booking me, reach out to me at shannafold at gmail.com. Don't forget my name has two N's in it. And keep an eye on the newsletter for a snippet of my talk. 
And now for a talk by Rabbi Yossi Madvig of Oswego, New York. This week's Torah portion is scarily close to today's reality. He'll bring consciousness to us before we enter into the weekend. This week's Parsha contains a story that a lot of people are confused about. When God wanted to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he saved Lot and his family, Avraham's nephew. And as they are escaping the destruction, as the fire and brimstone are raining down from heaven, Lot's wife turns back to see the destruction, and they were warned not to do so. And so because she violated that command, she's turned into a pillar of salt. So this is very confusing. First of all, what's the horrible sin of turning back and looking as there's this giant explosion going on behind you where fire and brimstone are raining down and destroying everything in its path? No one expects it to be like some kind of, uh, you know, superhero movie or something where there's this giant explosion and the guy's just walking away nonchalantly. There's a giant explosion. You turn around. You see what's going on. And second of all, why a pillar of salt? It's very strange. Like, I don't know. Why not she dies or uh, she gets a plague or something? A pillar of salt is a very strange punishment. So the Medrash explains and it tells us that she sinned with salt and so she was punished with salt. So Lot's wife was actually a local of Sodom. And she did not approve of the visitors that Lot took in. If you remember the story, or if you don't, I'll tell you, that the angels come to save Lot and his family, and Lot takes them in, and he gives them something to eat, and he helps them clean up and rest for a while. And in Saddam, they were very against taking guests. It was a very strict place. They did not approve of charity, of kindness, and things like this. Lot asked his wife to get some salt for the guests. And she was just furious about this. Not only are they taking him in, but they're giving them their food and everything. So she ends up going to her neighbors and asking for salt because they didn't have any. They actually didn't have any salt at at that moment. So she goes around town asking all of her neighbors for salt, and not only that, but making sure she lets the neighbors know, oh, I need the salt for my uh, husband's guests. Can you believe this guy, what he did? And so now the whole town knows that he's got guests, which is against the law in Sodom, and this instigates the mob coming to Lot's house to demand that the guests be turned over and mistreated. So the next morning, when Sodom was going to be destroyed and they're fleeing, the angels warn not to look back at the city, and she does, and so therefore she is turned into a pillar of salt. So that answers the salt question. So the other question, what's the big deal of turning around, right? It's very inappropriate to look at the suffering of others. It's bad enough that they have to suffer their punishment, but having people gaze on it as it's happening, it just adds a uh, you know salt to the wound, so to speak. And this teaches us that it's very important not to gloat and ogle at the suffering of people, even people who are guilty. Certainly those who are innocent, that is for sure not allowed. Um, And we have to try everything that we can to stop the suffering of the innocent. But even the guilty, it's important not to take delight and pleasure or even to gaze at their suffering. That's how compassionate we have to be. So as the war intensifies and there are certain to be a lot of casualties on both sides, it's important to remember the humanity of everyone involved, but justice should be done, and we should all pray for the safety and well-being of the Jewish people and of the innocents who are caught in the crossfire. Shabbat Shalom. It should be noted that with this idea that we just learned about, I want to say that I have had two opportunities to join Israeli and foreign press in Israel for a 46-minute viewing of the atrocities that were carried out on October 7th, and I have not been to either. I am doing deep work in taking down people's stories and experiences on the phone, in person, at the sites of massacre. I have seen the footage that I need to see, but I have denied the chance to watch the unfiltered, unedited massacre and murder, despite I have been very deeply conflicted about what the right thing to do was. I I have not been certain whether I should put myself through this experience I know that it has really deeply disturbed so many people. And when you watch something like that, it actually does become your own trauma. 
With this last message from Rabbi Yossi Madvig of Oswego, New York, I understand I've made the right choice. All right. Well, that is it for today's show. Today is Friday, November 3rd, 2023. Tel Aviv has a low of 18 degrees Celsius and a high of 28 degrees. That's 65 degrees Fahrenheit for the low, going up to 83 degrees for the high. Subscribe to the Israel Daily News podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're hearing it from. We are everywhere. Don't forget to sign up to the Israel Weekly News Wrap. The Israel Weekly News Wrap is a newsletter with the top five stories coming out of Israel from throughout the week. And of course, I add in a personal note from me at the top. You can sign up for that at IsraelDaily.News. A big thank you goes out to our social media director, Michelle Milner. And I'm going to send you off with a song called Heaven by Eugene Korolap. Have a great and productive day and an excellent weekend. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Have you ever dreamed for something big and visualized it in your head? Have you ever closed your eyes and felt like you're in heaven? Do you ever try to manifest even when your heart may need some rest? Do you ever close your eyes and think God you're in heaven? It says not yet When you catch it you know that for sure you are in heaven Or do you ever look up at the stars See that Milky Way and the Red Mars Does the moon smile back at you and tell you you're in heaven?